All right, well, today we're going to wrap up our series on Dig Deep and Get Real, all right? So it's been a, a, a great journey so far. If you missed last week, my wife uh, preached, and um, uh, as I was told, it just got better and better as the day went on. If you were part of the call service that night, I think it went for about an hour of ministry time afterwards. There were several people that were healed of physical ailments um, from legs to different things that were happening. So God was literally moving the supernatural Sunday night, healing people. There was a ton of healing of the hearts and just uh, generational sins being broken off, God breaking off old mindsets giving them newness of faith. And so I want you to know that God is moving in our midst, but all of it is in direct response to our hunger level, right? So it's like, how hungry are you? And that's what this series is. It's, it's how hungry are you? How willing are you to dig deep enough into your soul, into your heart, into who God says you are? How willing are you to dig there and at least ask the question again, Am I free in this place? Do I have this conviction, right, about the Great Commission? Am I free from old generational things? Or am I still living underneath what my parents said or, some, or what someone spoke of me? How free are you? How alive are you? And that's really what the series is about, and that requires work. It requires us to do the work, to do the labor of actually digging down and saying, God, would you expose me? Search my heart, as David said. Search me and know me. And Lord, if you find anything in me that's not of you, would you just remove it? Because I want to honor you and love you with my life. So today we're going to continue this and kind of wrap it up with a theme in the Bible that's woven throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it continues today, and that theme is God blessing people, right? So the blessings of God. And this may be kind of a a, a popular term, right? I would kind of liken it to like the term love, right? Love can be very misconstrued. It's in lots of songs. It's in lots of tweets. It's in lots of articles. It's, in, it's said flippantly. It's said with meaning, right? Valentine's Day comes around, and it's all about whatever. It's like, okay, love is out there, right? But, but there is a deeper meaning of love that we as believers need to understand that goes beyond flowers and a card, right? Those are great, but they're not deep love. There's a covenant love that God's given us. In the same way, there is blessing that goes deeper than someone getting a nice pair of shoes and saying, man, I'm so blessed, right? Hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed about this. Hey, uh, my hair looks great today, blessed, you know? I got an A on a test, I got an A on a test, blessed, right? And so I know it's cool to kind of say we're all blessed and stuff, um, but the reality is there's actually a biblical correlation between how you get that blessing. The blessing's not just self-ascribed, right? It's not just, hey, I am just blessed, I just kind of made it so. That's actually not how it works, all right? And so I want to give us a little definition here of blessing, and I'll summarize it. A way to define blessing is a public declaration of a favored status with God. Another way to say it is endows power for prosperity and success. When you look up the definition, biblical definition of blessing, you get this idea of having favor with God and power to prosper. Having favor with God and the power to prosper. That's the idea of blessing throughout the Bible. Now, I want to go back to Genesis 12, which is really the, the uh, founding of the nation of Israel, right? And you go to the history. This is God speaking to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and he gives him a promise. He gives him a promise of a blessing. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the beginning 
of the nation of Israel. This is the beginning of their story. But what's interesting is he says what? Now the Lord said to Abram, right? He was only Abram at this point. He didn't have all these children. He didn't have all these descendants, right? And so he had a promise from God, you're going to have descendants that are going to possess the nations. And he's like, God, side note, I don't have any kids. And I'm old. And my wife's old. And we're kind of beyond the point of actually having children, just in case you didn't know. I mean, I trust you. This sounds good. But just, you know, God, this, this promise sounds nice, but it's impossible. We have to remember, God is the doer of impossible. It's impossible that you are actually alive today and breathing. Right? Like, the fact that you were formed out of the dust of the earth, the fact that Adam and Eve formed in two generations, the fact that God wove you together in your mother's womb, every single one of you, it's like, wow, that's this crazy miracle. And you now we see in these little pictures, right, when you're pregnant, and it's like, uh, they're this big, and they send you these little email updates, and it's the size of an acorn, and then it's a, uh, I don't know, a piece of broccoli, and then it just keeps going, right? They always give you these food acronyms. It's just hilarious. It's like, my baby's a melon today. We're almost there. You know what I mean? Whatever the thing is. Right, so we're able to see this progression. It's like, wow, there's, is it going to be a boy or a girl? And, all these, and you see the little thing shape, and then this baby comes out, and you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, this, this, I mean, we didn't have much to do with this. He just kind of put, and here, here you go. It's like there's this baby being formed. The parts, the fingers, it's this incredible, mind-blowing thing. And that is God's creativity, and it's this impossible thing that God does. So here God says to Abram, when are you going to be a father? So he gets a name change later to Abraham, right? So here's this blessing. Now, I want to give us a little bit of history into how blessings were woven into the society of Israel. Within the family, the father would bless his wife and his children. In the government context, the ruler, the king, would bless his subjects. Within the priesthood and the Levitical priesthood, they had the privilege of blessing people. So you see, this idea of blessing is woven throughout the scriptures and the history of Israel in the Old Covenant. And as you read the Old Testament, you're also going to see a couple other themes pop up about blessings. Number one is the greater blesses the lesser, right? So father to son, Melchizedek to Abraham, God to people. Another theme you see is it's a sign of special favor that's intended to result in prosperity and success. God's blessing meant that that, that maybe your crops would grow bigger. God's blessing meant that the land would, would actually produce. You'd have rains, that, the, that your flocks would actually multiply. And it's hard for us to kind of understand that, but in the Old Testament, just read the history, and what you see time and time again is when God speaks a blessing on a people, when God puts it on a nation, they flourish and they thrive. Thirdly, you see this theme of, of people requesting to pass on God's blessing, right? How can we pass on the blessing of God? Someone's saying, may God bless you. May he make you fruitful, right? This is the idea of us kind of coming before God and asking for his blessing. So now we've got a little bit of historical context where blessings kind of started, Genesis 12, how they're woven into society. I want us to see this theme of blessing from the Old Testament into the New Testament, all right? Now underneath the Old Covenant, remember you have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the old covenant is pre-Jesus, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. That's the old covenant. So the people of Israel, the Jews, they live underneath this old covenant, which you see spelled out in the, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all through the Old Testament, giving them commands and statutes to live under, right? Very kind of strict set of, of, of ways to live so that, why? So that they could stay underneath the blessing or the covering of God, right? That was the goal. It's like, if you will stay underneath this place, 
guess what? I can protect you. I can take care of you. But if you leave my covering, right? It's like you got the umbrella. Here's the umbrella of God. You leave it, you're going to get it rained on, right? And so you're actually exposing yourself. But as long as you stay here, guess what? There are good things in store. I'll protect you. There's peace. There's safety. But when you leave my covering, when you leave my blessing, now you're exposed to what's going on to the enemy, right? And so take this idea into Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you got your Bibles, open them up. And I want you to look at this because we're going to read several verses here. And I would just encourage you to maybe make a note if you're taking notes. Deuteronomy 28, I would read that this week. And it's very lengthy, but it's a whole chapter of the Bible that's about blessings and curses, right? We're just going to read a portion of it because really you could sum up the history of Israel more or less with this statement. They lived under the blessing and under the curse and just went in and out of it, right, throughout their history. So let's read about the good stuff, the blessing side of it. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 through 4, we're just going to read a portion here. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall be you in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. And it goes on. It just over and over just says, you'll be blessed here. You'll be blessed here. It's like blessed every single turn in society. But there's a couple of attachments to this blessing, which are some if statements, right? We don't really like those ones. It's like, hey, we are blessed. But you don't see people saying, hashtag blessed if I obey, right? But that's what they should be saying because it actually says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high by the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you. So it's a big if, 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 right? So there's a couple of ifs there before the blessings come. What are the ifs? If you obey the voice of the Lord. If you are careful to do all his commandments. So underneath the old covenant, remember here, old covenant real quick, if Israel was to obey God, they would flourish, thrive, and be this incredible nation. If they chose to disobey God by um, uh, worshiping other idols, by cheating each other, by not honoring God's laws, by, by intermarrying with, with, with other nations at the time, they were told not to do that. All these different things, guess what would happen? Then the curse would come, which is the bad part, right? That's Deuteronomy 28. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Now, wait a second. This is the same God. How can he be like you are blessed, but then you are cursed? Right? I mean, we're kind of like, we're, this is messing with us a little bit here, right? I can, I can see it's kind of messing with our paradigm because we don't want to think about blessing and curse, we don't want to think about love and fear. We just want to think about the love side, right? I just want to love God. God loves me. That's true. And what's he also say? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will fear me, actually. It's the, it's the reality that you actually have to have a healthy understanding of the authority and the righteous place that he is and that you are not. And underneath him is where you live and work and play. It is not around him. It is not attaching yourself to his side gig. He's not a side gig. He is the gig, right? I mean, 
He is the thing. And so if you don't fear God, and if you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you say, man, I'm not down with the whole fear of God thing. I'm just involved with the love thing. That won't last very long. And I'll look at your life in 10 years, and you'll be a mess because you haven't submitted to him, right? You just, you just loved him, and you love to love stuff, right? But it's like, but the fear stuff is actually what keeps you safe and alive. Right? My kids can love me, but they don't fear me when I say, don't cross the street or that car will hit you. They don't respect me. They will die. <laughs> Without fear, you're dead, okay? So just, that's actually good. It's why God wove it into our human condition. When you, like, see a spider, you're like, and you, just, you know, you react. It's like a snake. You're like, either kill it or you run. I mean, it's just like, if you don't respond, you ain't going to make it. So God actually wove it into us for our survival as people, and I would say for our survival and thriving as Christians to love him and obey him and to fear the Lord. And so when he talks about, if you obey me, there's blessings. If you disobey, there's curses. That was very real for the people of Israel. Now, are the blessings and curses to be applied to us individually today as they were to ancient Israel? Good question, right? Like, do these still apply today? The same thing, but we're underneath a new covenant, right? Well, it'd be, mis- it'd be a misapplication of the covenant to say that the blessings and curses of the old covenant apply exactly to the church today, to the followers of Jesus, because we are under a new and better covenant. And although there are consequences for our disobedience of the new covenant, just like in Hebrews, it says many times that the consequences for disobedience under grace, under the new covenant, the covenant of Christ, are even more severe. But that being said, Ephesians 1.3 says, we have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So in the new covenant in Ephesians, it says, we've already been blessed by Jesus, right? But there are still principles at work from the Old Testament to the new, from the old covenant to the new that carry on. And so one way to look at this whole blessing and cursing thing is look at it from the principle of sowing and reaping, right? Sowing and reaping. Now, on a national level, just on a nation's level, a nation that lives by God's commands and obeys him and honors him is a nation that will be blessed. But a nation that does not honor his commands, that disobeys God, will be judged. That is clear, and that carries over to today. But for us in Jesus individually, it'd be wrong for us to straight apply Deuteronomy 28 to believers because we are already blessed in Jesus. And we are not judged on a daily basis to go in and out of blessing and curse. What that means is it's not like Monday you wake up, Hey, you read your Bible, you said your prayers, you confessed your sin. Today's a blessing day. Monday's like Monday's, right? And then Tuesday, it's like, oh, I'm under the curse because I, I messed up here, right? I lied to someone, so I'm under the curse. Now, Tuesday's a bad day, right? And then, but we're going to turn it around Wednesday morning, right? Here we go. Time to be blessed again. Wednesday's a blessing day. And Thursday, we get, we get like a two days in a row blessing. And then Friday comes, now we're under the curse again. It's going to be a bad weekend, right? But a lot of us, I think, may actually have a misunderstanding and operate that way, right? Oh, it's like, it's like you know, have you been naughty or nice, right? It's like, oh, you're going to get a gift this year? You're not? You're going to, today's going to be a good day or not? You've been naughty or nice, right? And so even in parenting, we parent that way, right? And it's like, oh, you're only loved as long as you do exactly what I say. That's called conditional. But we know that Christ came and God sent his son unconditionally, right? Because Christ is the one who paid the price. We just come to him. He did all the work. You see, you do anything. I'd do anything to be saved. 
He came for me. All he said is, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means all I got to do is come to him and just confess and say, yes, you are Lord. You have, you have set me free. You see, in the new covenant, this idea of sowing and reaping is a little different than a blessing and curse. So here's what it says in Galatians 6, 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we're under the blessing because of what Christ has done, right? We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want you to understand this, though. You either live your life such a way to please the flesh or to please the Spirit, the Spirit of God. So am I pleasing the flesh? Everything is just all about me, right? Self-idolatry, just self, self-absorbed. Am I just pleasing me or am I pleasing God? And that's a great question I'm asking. You can ask it about anything in life. In this relationship, is this about pleasing God or pleasing me? Ooh, might need to change those relationships, right? <laughs> um, in this marriage, is it about pleasing God or just pleasing me? In this workplace, in this job, is it about just pleasing me and just my own self-promotion? Or am I actually here to help others get promoted even if I don't? Because in the end, who's going to reward you the greater thing? It's not your boss on earth. It's your boss in heaven. Right? You have to ask and grid your decisions through life through this idea. Now, these principles carry over. And as believers, the shift that needs to happen in our hearts the difference from the Old Covenant and New Covenant, a big piece is that, is that they were obligated and it was almost became a duty to them to apply these laws and commands of God. But in the New Covenant, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He says, if you come to me, I'll send my spirit upon you. And guess what? The spirit of God inside of us now, what should shift in us is not I follow Jesus and follow the commands of Jesus and the voice of him out of duty, but I do it out of delight. And that's the difference, guys. You can know that if you are reading your Bible, if you're choosing not to cheat on a test, if you're being honest and you're doing it just because you just know it's the right thing to do and you're just doing it out of duty, you're doing what's called religion. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and the whole Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written and you see him interacting with these Pharisees, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't saying there's no place to you. What he was saying was that as long as you guys operate in this place of a work-based religion, meaning that you're going to do everything, you're going to work your way into heaven, and side note, you're going to do everything by gritting your teeth and just being angry all the time, but doing the right thing, right? It's kind of like, hey, we need you to serve. Great, I'll serve, right? You're just sweeping. So like, no, that's actually, you're doing the action of serving, but you're not actually serving, right? It's like, it's like saying, hey, here, honey, Here's some flowers. I love you. Why did you give me flowers? Well, because I'm supposed to. It's Valentine's. Here's your flowers. We're married, right? Oh, so that shows me your love? Yeah. What's next? Right? Oh, but that's how we do things, isn't it? Oh, I'm supposed to do this. Oh, great. Because that's going to win her heart over, right? Yeah, try that in a dating relationship. It won't work. But just so you know, it doesn't stop. Pursuit doesn't stop when you get married. Yes, the hunt's over. You've captured your prize, okay? <laughs> but you need to take care of that prize for the next 50 years, right? It's not a marriage sermon, but there's a, there's a little nugget. Okay. Now, listen, when we talk about obeying out of duty, or out, of, out of delight, not of duty, it's kind of like when I go to my kids and, and, and our, our almost three-year-old Gwyneth right now, she's so sweet. And we will um, talk with her, and we'll say, hey, Gwyneth, it's fun when we obey. 
Like, life is fun. Today's going to be fun when we obey. When you disobey, it's not very fun. It ain't fun. And maybe some of us need to have that vernacular today. Life is fun in God and in life and with people when we obey. When we don't, oh, man. Because what's it say in Galatians 6? Whoever sows to please their flesh and the flesh will reap destruction. Oh. That sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 28. All these curses are leaving destruction on their whole society. See, the same principle applies. It's using different terms, but it's the same idea of if you sow in to God and you sow into the Spirit, there's going to be reaping of eternal life. <laughs> and you know, so that we don't get religious, we try to teach our kids to ask this question all the time. Maybe they're arguing or something or got a bad attitude. And we say, hey, um, I want you to stop and ask, ask God the question. Father God, how can I be a blessing? So we literally have them stop. I don't care what age you are, and they ask the question. And oftentimes, we'll be like, so what did God say? He'll say, he said, I need to go help my sister clean up her room. Great. I wouldn't have suggested that, but God did. Or I'd say, heck, how can you be a blessing? Eat my food with a fork. <laughs> That's, that'd be awesome. And I was thinking that one, right? Okay? But I'm training my children to ask God the question, and what are they really saying? They're saying, Holy Spirit, you're inside of me right here. It's not like, hey, God, you got a minute? I got a prayer. I need to pray. When you got five minutes, tomorrow maybe you got time for that? Do I need to go out to the woods so I, you can hear me? Distracting? No. There's not a designated prayer place. Actually, there is. It's right here. You can pray anywhere. On the plane, in the toilet. There's a lot of praying going on in the bathroom. You know that. You can pray anywhere, anytime. Why? Because Jesus came and what he did with the old covenant did not have, they did not have the spirit of God present and dwelling in every single person, right? They didn't have that. They had to go to a temple where the spirit of God was. They had to go to this place. Jesus could not be everywhere at the same time. They had to go to Galilee and go to this place. That's why crowds followed him all the way around to hear what he was saying. But then guess what? When he died, he rose from the grave. And then he said to disciples, hey, guys, guess what? I know you're scared, but one day I'm going to send my spirit and when he comes, he's going to be in you. He's going to distribute gifts amongst you. And then guess what? He's going he's gonna to be in every single person that calls upon me. I'm going to send my spirit. So, that now, so now the spirit of God's witnessing, yes, he is one of mine. He's a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. You don't have to wear a tag, a label, or a cool shirt. It's, it's here. Here's the mark inside your heart. And when I've tagged you then, now all of a sudden you have access to talk to the Father. That's why he came. You don't have to just come to this building to pray. That's ridiculous. But some of us have been taught that, right? Like you can only do that. You can only talk to God in these moments. I want my kids to know, as you're sweeping and doing chores, we're going to ask God how it can be a blessing. Right? That's how we've got to get it into our hearts and minds. That's why the new covenant is a thousand times better than the old. Because it gives us access to 24-7 relationship with God, to his voice, and that at every turn we can be convicted and change the things. You can be about to cheat on a test, and the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you respond to that, you're like, I don't need to cheat on this. Versus someone saying, hey, don't cheat. I'm seeing you. Right? But you have the Spirit of God in you. This is actually telling you that already. You don't need a friend to tell you that. Unless you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Right? But if you're not listening to him, you actually need people to help call you out. If you're listening to him, you need less of people calling you out. If you want to be called out less, listen to him more. Right? Now, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 serves as a foundation for blessings. It says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise, that, Gen that Genesis 12 promise, you know when that's fulfilled? Through Jesus Christ, right? Galatians 3, 13 to 14. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Whew. Everybody should be saying, whew. He became the curse for you and me. Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You know why this is such good news? Because Jesus did what the old covenant could not do. The old covenant could not completely remove the curse and the sin. They do animal sacrifices and it was temporary. But when Jesus came, ha, he removed all of it. So they're moving the entire curse, guys. So church, this morning, if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus, you do not live under the curse. You are blessed richly in Christ. You actually have all that you need in him. The question is, are you willing to admit that and access that? Are you going to keep living underneath the old covenant? I need someone to do it for me. I need to blame somebody else. We're done with that. There's actually no excuses in the new covenant, just so you know. There's zero. You can't find one. You can't find an excuse in the Bible that God's like, oh, that's a great excuse. You're right. I haven't thought about that one. I overlooked that in creation. No. Guys, there are no excuses. But we want to make them up to make ourselves feel better, which really what needs to happen is we need to turn, repent, and start obeying. That's the, that's the solution to almost every problem, just so you know. Turn to Jesus, obey him, and everything's going to work out okay. So this idea of sowing and reaping continues. And, you know, I just want to emphasize what Jesus is going to say here in Luke chapter 6, because he is also talking about how this idea is woven in to the new covenant. We have sowing and reaping, and he's going to put it a different way here. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Oh, that's a whole series. Right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Have you ever done that? I have. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> love you so much, so committed. But then I just choose to go my own way for a weekend. See, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. See, guys, it's not if, but when the flood comes. When the flood comes, will your house remain? Have you built it on the solid rock? Will it be unwavering? And you know, I think that most of us in this room have built our house on a solid foundation, but I also believe there's probably a few in this room that may be close friends and family members of yours that have built a house and it looks pretty good. They're pretty proud of it. But there's no foundation. And I have a construction science background, which doesn't mean much, but it doesn't mean that I know this. You can't put a foundation underneath an existing home. You can repair a foundation that's cracked, but you can't put a whole new one. Which means if you're here today and you've built your life upon anything but Jesus Christ, you only have one option, is to tear your house down. That means you come and you say, I repent. I don't want my old life. 
That, that house represents your old life. Jesus, I need you to tear this down. I want to rebuild something new upon a solid foundation. I want to give you a chance to respond to that in just a moment. But if that's you, you may need to tear your house down. But I think the majority of us in this room, you've actually built your house on the solid rock, on the foundation, so that it won't be moved or flooded away. But you know, all houses need maintenance. All houses need repairs. <laughs> there may be some rooms in your house that are actually quite nice and very up-to-date. Maybe some stuff you've left untended. Like maybe the, the rooms you don't go into as much. But there was something that happened there years ago. And you don't want to talk about it. There's something you did that you're ashamed of. Or there's something currently that you've decided I'm no longer going to put that to be part of my life. It was, but no longer more. I've moved on or I've just kind of forgotten about it. And what I want to do is give us a moment here at the end. I want to invite the band up to just respond. Because I believe God wants our houses to be whole and sound, structurally, aesthetically beautiful, but that they're solid inside and out. So here's how we're going to close. I want us to stand. Invite our prayer teams up here. If you're a life good leaders, make your way up here. And I just had a strong sense that, you know, a lot of us today, that we need to understand that there is, um, that God is wanting your house to be solid and to be firm. He's not wanting you to crumble when the waves come. He's not wanting you to be moved. He's wanting you to be a place that's solidly built on him, that you're a well-built house. Because when you are, the things of this world come, you won't be moved. And when others' houses are wrecked and they're floating by, you can be a voice crying out to them, come in here, I have a safe place. I have a place for you. Every one of us knows someone whose life has been ruined. Every one of us knows somebody, maybe close, whose life's been ruined because they've not built their life on the rock. It's not our place to judge them, but it's our place to throw them a rope or to swim out after them. Say, come on, man. I know you're at the lowest place you've ever been in your life, but would you come? I have a place for you. Come and sit. Dine with me. That's what Jesus did. So if that's you this morning and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to come up here and just connect with someone and say, hey, I want to tear my house down and build a new one. But I think for most of us, there's either a small or a big deal that you need to look at in your home. And it kind of goes back to, is there anything in my house that's not pleasing to the spirit? Are there things that are pleasing to the flesh? And I can't tell you what that is. Only you and the Lord know what that is. But if you're willing to go there this morning, I would ask, take the next five minutes and go there with God. If you need to come up, let someone pray for you, share with them. If you need to sit down or respond, a journal, or but just don't leave without asking, without asking the question. So I think if you ask it, he's going to highlight at least one thing. Maybe pretty big, maybe pretty minor. Might be something you can take care of today after lunch. Or it might be something that's a longer journey. But we only want to be a people that are pleasing to him because why? Because there's, inherent, there's eternal life for us. That's our desire. So Lord, we just ask right now, do you highlight any place in us that's not pleasing to the Spirit? And Lord, you know what that is. There's no hiding from you. We just want to come open and vulnerable again. So God, there's one thing, two things, ten things in my life that are not pleasing or pleasing the flesh. And just help me. Help me, Lord, to repair those places in my home, to get back to the foundation of you. Thank you, Jesus.